Hello, and welcome to the Podcast of Power, a She-Ra and the Princesses of Power companion podcast. I am one of your hosts, Nero. And I'm the other host, Jane. Finally this week, we're really starting Season 5 proper with Season 5, Episode 3, Corridors. This is where the things start happening. Oh yeah, a lot of, uh, just so much happens in this episode. It's like... An unfathomable amount of things happen in this episode. Um, and we will get to most of them. Uh, but first, we sh- so we're, we're going to go out of order again. And I feel like we're going to be doing that a lot in, uh, in this season in particular. Because oftentimes there is a very weighty A plot and then a kind of lighter B plot that doesn't necessarily matter that much. Exactly, exactly. Like, they, they, they do a really good job of weaving it together. But as far as, like us really getting into sort of the 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 meat of the matter um it's it's a little hard to do if we're like bouncing back and forth between like the the like funny and trapped moments and the like rest of the episode so we're gonna we're gonna get the funny and trapped moments out of the way first yeah like i mean there's really no the the shortest it's a very short summary uh bo the dora and entrapta are flying uh, en route to horde prime ship they encounter technical difficulties, and they they go to uh, fix stuff. Uh, Bo is is extremely harried by both Entrapta's extreme glee and eagerness to to sort of tinker with the ship, and Adora's clumsiness uh, as she is just sort of swinging her staff around in the uh, in the main cabin. Yeah, they're. the poor boy is well on his way to having a nervous breakdown here because he's he's trying to keep. These two women under control. Meanwhile, the ship is um, breaking down because it's about two billion years old, and uh, they basically threw it together with like comparatively like nineteen fifties vacuum tube technology to, to to duct tape it together to fly, um, which you know probably not ideal. No. Um, so there's a, there's, there's very good Entrapta moments here in this episode. First of all, she made them spacesuits. She made them all spacesuits in the nebulous amount of time between the last episode and this episode. I would say probably a few weeks. Yeah, the, the spacesuits are amazing. Uh, Entrapta's hair has uh, little ports so for it to, you know, be able to hang out in the vacuum of space, uh, Dora's ponytail also has its own little port. Uh, the best one, though, by far, without question, of the three of them is Bo's spacesuit, which, on top of having a cute little heart on the chest, also <laughs> has a second glass visor explicitly so that he can still have a tummy window. Pretty great. Adora's also very much resembles her 80s design um she's got the the same like red vest thing on it's sleeveless instead of the jacket she wears in this episode uh so that's fun they're they're just very great sort of retro future spacesuit designs they're just good uh and trapta flies around in space and gleefully laughs she like jumps down a vent and makes all sorts of strange noises oh a lot of a lot of noises uh adora is like she she's determined to listen to Bo and not touch anything um unfortunately there's a thing there's a thing hey Bo, there's a thing help and so she ends up tangled in a gigantic 
thing of wires that have exploded out of the main console. She's trying to duct tape them together. That's not... That doesn't really solve any problems, Adora, but I guess, you know, uh, B plus uh, for, for effort, you know, cable management, always always a good thing to, to bear in mind. Yep, and that's the extent of that, because that plotline entirely exists uh, to be comic relief for the rest of the episode, which we are about to get into, and boy! It could use some comic relief, because this, this is this this episode gets heavy, like, real fast, and... um. Yeah, corridors is like it's it's a really heavy one, and and we'll get into this a little more uh, later, uh, particularly in the spoiler zone. Um, but uh, pretty much immediately before uh, we watched the episode, like rewatched the episode uh, this evening, um, I kind of uh, just got myself uh, over the course of like about two hours through Noel Stevenson's sort of illustrated memoir, and while it doesn't necessarily have a ton of super super relevant stuff to this episode like uh extremely textually i have to say it it really um it 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 changes the way you look at almost everything the way that the show is written i feel and see i'm still working my way through it after like two weeks so that's kind of our uh our two methods of reading put back to back here (laughs) where i just kind of have it open in a tab and i'm reading it and you just shove it all into your brain i just shove it all into my brain and then like uh yeah it's oof yeah I will rely on you to pull from that once we get there. So let's get started on this A-plot. Um, we immediately start with a flashback. Uh, there's no cold open in this episode, by the way. Like, it's just it's just intro straight into this segment where we see uh, another flashback of young Catra and Adora. Yeah, we have baby time again. Yes. Not voiced by actual children like they are in Promise. Uh, this is Amy Carrero and um, AJ Michalka mm-hmm. doing the voices. But like, they're a little bit older than they were in promise so that i guess that makes sense um regardless we we see catra like fleeing down some corridors in the fright zone and hiding behind some boxes uh she's she's very very upset about something and anadora comes looking for her because uh apparently what happened is that catra just like suddenly lashed out at lonnie and scratched her up yeah and there's this exchange where you know doors like we were just having fun we were just being friends you didn't have to do it so why'd you do it and and it's on that line that little little baby catcher looks up with tears in her eyes and just like this indignant expression this this like um hurt she's angry yeah it's a hurt angry and and this Catra, we learn a lot about Catra's internality in this episode. And you'd think, well, surely we don't have anything else to learn. We've been looking at it over the course of the whole series. And boy, you sound like an idiot right now. Fictional person I have invented for this hypothetical conversation. This, yeah, like, I don't, it, that that scene in particular, I, I feel like the way that Catra lashes out so hard is so, like there's there's such like a, a a really there's a really intense like emotionality to to this one yeah she like we we don't see the scratch of course but we do see adora get thrown back with like a, a fresh uh scratch across her face 
and uh, and Catra standing in the shadows and like panting and crying, and we fade into Catra in the present, sitting on a windowsill in the Velvet Glove, watching Horde Prime's armada like destroy a planet. Yeah, she's just sort of looking out over this this uh, random planet being glassed. the The surface is being completely immolated from orbital bombardment and she's just looking out at it it's it, it's it's a tone setter i feel like uh for the episode in a lot of ways it's sort of in a way it's like kind of metaphorical for catra especially because i think she largely feels and she says as much in the episode but i think she largely feels like she relates to that she feels like she's you know kind of done that at this point that she has more or less glassed etheria she she has like actively ruined anything good that could ever exist in her eyes anyway and she's just kind of apart from it now she can look at it from the outside in in a way that she couldn't and she's having a lot of thoughts about it yeah i think i don't think it's any accident that we cut from Catcher watching a hurt and and afraid Adora run away, to her looking at this uh, this utter devastation, just like uh, completely detached and from afar, and yet probably still making a connection in her mind of like, well, this is all that happens when I'm around. I just hurt people and cause misery. That's all I'm. That's all I do. It's all I'm good for. So she uh, starts traversing the corridors of the Velvet Glove. Uh, you know, we we get the classic shot of the lit and the the darkened hallways, uh, the the two paths. I it doesn't really show which one she takes, but she notices a bunch of clones are just kind of following her around and and saying, "Well, we're here to attend to your every need, little sister." Yes, they're very creepily following her around, observing her. She's never not under surveillance, and she she tries to break away from them like she tries sort of sprinting off down like a random corridor it doesn't work out though because uh she bumps headfirst into into another clone but this clone's a little different because this one refers to her as katra uh you know he's like you know this is this this part of the ship is off limits to you katra and katra immediately picks up on the fact that nobody else uses her name she deduces that this is indeed hordak though he rejects the uh the idea of having a name um and rebuffs her like kind of she, she's trying to you know form another connection other than glimmer it's like well it's nice to see a friendly face around here but he just shuts that down and goes you know this area is off limits to you little sister you know, going right back into the, the, the sort of script. Yeah, she's she sort of she she's shut down by quite a lot uh, in this episode. But yeah, the Hord, the Hordak thing in particular is like she's surrounded by enemies. But the the two the two enemies that she knows enough that she can interact with them like that's that's like just getting that extreme shutdown, I think definitely is like. Again, this is this is a rough one. This is like this is a very like emotionally charged encounter. And so after that, she goes to Glimmer's cell once more, and Glimmer kind of Glimmer 
uh, is is in the middle of you know throwing a chair at the the shield wall uh, very ineffectually. Just you know, just seeing what would happen. Uh, I'm surprised she even has a chair in that room, honestly. Yeah, well, you know, Horde Prime is like he's got this this image of being like so very like ingratiating and and whatever even his even his prison cells are supposed to be like pretty nice like like little hotel rooms like we we talked about this a little bit before and it's it's one of those things where it's like it's this facade of hospitality this this extremely uh, him treating you as if you are a guest is i think in many ways more oppressive feeling than if you were just simply thrown into a prison cell and katra says as much actually to the clones uh when she's being followed around she's like you know if i'm actually a prisoner treat me like a prisoner don't just follow me around and constantly keep me under watch and don't let me anywhere that isn't like just a random hallway and there's you know just this this sort of cloying atmosphere about the whole thing where yeah you know you have a nice little sitting area and you have a really nice little bed and your cell is pretty big it's like the size of a bedroom and you have like little fancy meals delivered to you and everyone speaks to you very nicely but like that almost drives the point into you even harder that you're just a rat in a cage that you you are you're you're functionally a pet at that point you're you're being kept in a kennel and maybe it's a nice kennel but it is a kennel and there's nothing you can really do about it. And so Glimmer kind of, you know, they starts trying to banter with Katra. She figures out that Katra keeps coming back here uh, because she's lonely. Um, and she's kind of, you know, kind of taking a more, you know, kind of lightly making fun of her. But once Katra starts to leave, she kind of pulls back on that and, and just kind of wants to have an actual chat. Um, and so we get them sitting back to back again and having just a very uh, vulnerable conversation. Yeah, it's this is a very vulnerable conversation. So at the towards the end of launch, we had that scene where they both kind of drop the banter for a second and they just sit back to back quietly uh, against the sort of laser glass. And here they do the same thing again, but they actually talk. And they talk about, you know, what would you, what would you do if you were back home? And Glimmer talks about, you know, she'd just kind of travel around for a bit. She'd, she'd see all the things that she misses, all of the world. She'd have a little sleepover with her friends. Go, go out, go steal some, some cake from the, uh, sort of the kitchens. And then Katra sort of chimes in. Mostly she was letting Glimmer talk for most of this but she sort of chimes in is like you know we, me and Adora had sleepovers too and they uh they'd stay up all night and, and talk about stuff and and other things and this actually leads uh interestingly into into a question we got uh on, on Curious Cat which was um 
someone asked what our theories are on what happened at the sleepovers and why Katra blushed. I mean, <laughs> listen, you don't need us to tell you what that blush means, I'm sure. Yeah. You know, so just sitting around talking about whatever, you know, just whatever. Just whatever, you know, normal girl stuff. Just whatever. Just, you know, having a sleepover, laying in the same bed, probably just sort of, you know, falling asleep next to each other it's normal girl stuff you know how it is um i will uh, i will see if i can find some because of course this is this has uh been a, a very popular topic for fan art oh yes it the has. whatever um so maybe we'll link some some of the greatest hits in the in the description of this episode yeah maybe we'll we'll throw some up on the on the twitter or something but yes but yeah like it's it's just it's it's a nice little scene and seeing Katra kind of reminisce a little bit is seeing Katra laugh. We see her laugh. This isn't stuff that she's let herself think about for a really really long time. Probably at least a couple of seasons, probably not since early in season 2 even. Uh this is just not stuff that she's thought about at all and normally she's really not happy about being reminded of this kind of thing but you know those memories right now are pretty comforting for her i think and she's sort of in a mental spot where she can can look at them from from that angle they share a laugh about adora about how uh she she is always like fitfully rolling around in her sleep and doing sleep fighting and both of them kind of laugh and like, man, she can't even relax when she's asleep. Like the the vo- the the voice acting in this scene is fantastic. The character animation in this scene is is fantastic. Like, there's a lot of subtleties. Uh, Catcher's tail yes. makes betrays a lot of her emotions. And then Glimmer asks, "Well, what about you? What would you be doing if you were back on Etheria?" And Catra kind of like shuts back down and just says uh nothing there's nothing for me there yeah and she she has reason to feel that way a real uh a real bridge burning campaign here uh she's been on and there's there's really so minimal left and glimmer says something like really specific actually she says you know she feels guilty that she'd do anything to go back and make things right and this is something that really gets to Katra. Like that's right before she says that there's nothing back there for her because, you know, she's having a nice time sort of reminiscing, but you know, that, that sort of belies the, the nature of the thing that that's at least in her mind gone and irretrievably gone and pretty much entirely of her own doing. It's her fault that it's gone and there's nothing she can really do to get it back. Throughout the series, Katra has kind of compartmentalized and shoved away any guilt she might have. Until very recently, until season four, she sort of, like, created this narrative within her head where everyone else... It was everyone else's fault. She was she was just a victim. She It was everyone else's fault that, that she was like this. And she kept going with that narrative, especially throughout season three... Uh, in early season four, but when Scorpia left and she could not blame her for anything, 
when she couldn't like come up with some nonsense to foist on her it's like oh no scorpia just left because i was horrible to her that sort of wall begins to crumble and now we see here where she is just kind of left alone on this ship to kind of think about her actions and her past and realize how much she's hurt people and how many relationships she has just like destroyed for years and years and that is beginning to weigh extremely heavily on her yeah she's the the consequences of her actions have all sort of come and gone and now she's left in the burned out like husk of a life that she has doesn't really have anything else she's she's still trying to convince herself that maybe maybe if she just plays her cards right maybe she'll be able to do something in the galactic horde here but but she knows that's not true there she's she is a prisoner as much as glimmer is her choices are to face almost certain death or wait until again an even more certain death comes for them in the form of uh, a horde prime victory and she doesn't know what to do speaking of horde prime speaking of the man himself she is summoned uh she she walks away catcher walks away from the conversation and, and spies that uh, that area that hordak was keeping her out of earlier um and sees that it is like a teleportation bay where Horde Prime can teleport his clones to anywhere within his empire, which is kind of an insane infrastructure to have. Like, you don't have to move the Velvet Glove anywhere. You can just teleport these guys, like, across the galaxy in the blink of an eye. Yeah, like, Horde Prime's infrastructure and the the scale of his empire is immense it's it's immense in a way that is not like i i feel like the show generally does a pretty decent job of trying to get it across but there's almost no way to um the the dude is almost impossible to face because of just how massive the the machinery of the thing is and so she is summoned by a clone to an audience with horde prime and he leads her into this extremely normal room so it's a baptismal font uh like it extremely is there's a big pit in the middle filled with mountain dew uh there is a raised like ring around the baptismal font where all of the clones are standing with their hoods up and looking very scary and Horde Prime is there in the center, and it's finally time to talk about the kind of third axis of Horde Prime's character. Yes. So the thing about Horde Prime here, um, and I think we're going to get into the real uh, nitty gritty about that uh, in the spoiler zone, because we're going to be talking about like some stuff that happens later as well. But um, the third axis here is that Horde Prime is representative of a lot of sort of christian religious institutions like specifically a lot of these sort of very cult-like bible belt sort of organizations mega churches and and the like and this is 
a lot of this is intended to extremely like hearken to that this like very oppressively cloying attitude of crushing benevolence this like you are being stomped underfoot but the foot loves you is the thing and and it's it's this scene i think in particular that the boot is especially illustrated this the scene sort of plays out like this right you have uh catra comes into the room and uh horde prime wants to know about this ship uh he's detected a ship leaving etheria but it's too old for him to really be able to track it but he thinks catra probably knows something about this ship and catra is like she doesn't really know anything about the ship but she knows who's on it and horde prime knows that she knows this and he he offers he offers her an ultimatum he says okay you can either go talk to glimmer and get the information i need about how to find the ship or the second option well he shows her another method that he uses to get um people to be obedient when Hordak comes into the room. Yeah, so remember that baptismal font full of Mountain Dew? So uh, Hordak sort of prostrates himself before Horde Prime and says, you know, she, she has given me a name. I would like to be free uh, of it. I would like to, to be pure in your will. Um, and Horde Prime very, leads him into the, uh, into the water. Uh, and then the clones start chanting, cast out the shadows very normal and then they start saying even more normal things uh like all beings must suffer to become pure as hordak is just kind of uh electrocuted by this pool until he opens his eyes again and they are pure white they are pure yeah he he's in excruciating pain throughout this entire scene um his his mouth is wrenched open uh and he is just he's just screaming the whole time and it's like it's it's a it's a pretty horrifying scene honestly and uh when when it's over you know horde prime is like here he is the purest of you all a being to be honored and all of the others sort of are are losing their like uh bowing and and you know crying out in joy at seeing him and he's completely blank slate he barely understands his surroundings even he's like barely conscious anymore it's it's really like purity in horde prime's light is pretty explicitly framed in this scene as having absolutely no consciousness of your own um being absolutely nothing more than a piece of the machinery with no ability to think or even really perceive the world around you and this this is the this is the thing this is exactly sort of the nature of the beast here when we're dealing with commentary about these sort of christian organizations because largely this is how they function there is a uh, you know the, the scene where the the clones are, are sort of losing their minds over the the purified Hordak. Uh, very reminiscent of if, if anyone's ever seen footage of like 
big mega churches where there's like faith healers or miracle workers there like people will just completely lose it and start like rolling around on the ground and talking in tongues yeah people are crying and screaming like uh the the guy will come off the stage because it's usually in a big like a really big auditorium and the guy will come off the stage and he'll put on like his his healing voice or whatever and he'll get someone from the audience who's in a wheelchair maybe and have them stand up for a quarter of a second and be like oh you're cured now and everyone's you know everyone's losing their minds at it it's very reminiscent of stuff like that there is a uh, a documentary that uh, that i watched i don't know if it's still on netflix it was for a very long time it's kind of an old one from like uh, 20 like 11 i think uh called jesus camp which is like a one that follows a like basically an extremely fundamentalist vacation bible school for kids uh, it's very harrowing um and i think the timeline of that would be around the same period that noel stevenson would still be within the uh the fundamentalist community so like 2000 like 7 2008 is I think when when that documentary was filmed, because uh, they talk about Bush a lot in it, because he was the the big figure at the time, and it, it is a harrowing and interesting look at that world, which has only become more prevalent and worse as the the years have gone on. But uh, it the Horde Prime extremely pulls on a lot of that stuff, as well as a little bit of Catholicism with the all beings must suffer to become pure thing. Yeah, it's one of those things where it's like, I can't I can't personally speak from a lot of experience with like you know, megachurches, sort of the Bible Belt fundamentalist type stuff, because that wasn't really my experience. But uh, I can tell you from, from many years of Catholic education, uh, the, the all beings must suffer to become pure line is... I mean, almost word for word, right? Like that's that's like that's almost like actually a thing that was said like to me personally at least a couple of times, and that's that's like a really that's 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 a thing. The 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 sort of visuals of Horde Prime, his his stuff is a lot more Spartan. Yes, it's a lot more like his his sort of visual aesthetic is a lot more similar to sort of like protestant megachurches and and that sort of thing it's uh, very clean yeah very way a lot of mormonism yes influence visually i feel you know catholicism's a little bit more everything's gilded and fancy wood and gold everywhere and you know the the design team said as much when they were talking about the design of the flagship the velvet glove uh where they were talking about they took uh, especially the big like screen in his throne room uh, were taken from a lot of mega churches, like specifically ultra modern mega churches from the past like ten years. Yeah, yeah, they almost have jumbotrons in those things at this point. Uh, it reminds me, especially um, there's there's this one particular part of the Velvet Glove, and I'm not sure if it's in this episode or not. I think the actual like Horde Prime throne room, the way the ceiling in it is so vaulted, and the way that the like um surrounding kind of looking areas i guess like the the balconies around the side or whatever it reminds me a lot of like the uh the super like ultra like mormon churches like uh i forget what it's called the one in like salt lake city like the church it reminds me a lot of that just this almost 
impossibly huge building that that just is like it's a void it's the same thing with a lot of catholic churches right it's like it's it is intended to be so impressive and awesome and i mean that in like the the traditional like awe having sense of the word that like it, it sort of makes you feel very small and you feel very like disempowered inside of that you feel uh you feel like an insect and this is like it's it's a you look at where where the altar is or where the the priest or the the pastor or whatever stands and how that's visually framed you know how where where horde prime is in in his throne room how that's visually framed where all of the sight lines go directly to him go directly to where he is and make him seem bigger taller uh more imposing he's more important than you ever could be and this is like again this is all intentional it's the point they want you to feel as small and helpless as possible because that's they they are presenting themselves as the alternative to that helplessness a salvation to that helplessness and telling you that it's a good thing actually that you feel this way because it means that you are meek and ready to be given instruction um as you know as the good lord intended and that's Again, it's, that's that's part of the way that the cult-like system operates. Isolates you, keeps you within that, completely dependent on that system, prevents any osmosis of outside ideas. Uh, yeah, so you hypothetical conversationalists might be asking, well, why is he like this? Why is the, the big bad villain of season five this like ultra-religious imperial cult lord that could be any number of reasons really i wonder if it you know <laughs> so obviously i think we can get we, we will get more into his uh all, all the whole span of his character in the spoiler zone but was there anything you wanted to bring up from uh, the memoir which i believe is called the fire never goes out it is called the fire never goes out before i do that though i do want to i do want to say as far as you know why is horde prime framed this way why are things this way well i don't know that I'll, I'll say on on that specifically from this episode here is horde prime has a really specific line right before he delivers his ultimatum he does he says Eurodora causes you such suffering and he says it with a level of pity and disgust that he, he asks don't you want to be free of it and i think i think a lot of people can understand exactly what he means when he says that i think i think i think the intended message there is pretty clear yeah uh, I believe there was a tweet from Noel Stevenson around the time that uh, that season five aired or like a, a month after it or so um, where he was like, wow, uh, when you put a bunch of your religious trauma into your show almost by accident, a lot of people, when they'd start analyzing it, really come for you. Huh? Yeah, I mean, that's sort of that's sort of the, the nature of the beast, right? When you pull out of yourself so much of your experience and and turn that into art people will reflect on that art 
people will analyze that art and when they do they're reflecting on and analyzing you and in some ways that's cathartic and in some ways that's desperately hard to stomach and i can imagine noel going through like quite a lot of emotions uh, from that and uh i mean like i said i on the note of the memoir like and how it relates to this it's like like i said there's so much of what this show is and does that takes on an extremely more personal tone after reading it uh it's like the one the memoir actually spends like a a pretty small portion talking about uh religious trauma uh it's pretty much entirely front-loaded in the uh like 2011 portion 2011 2012 portion and it's it it doesn't even really spend an enormous amount of time on that but what is there i think is is quite telling like one of the one of the images that really stuck with me when i was when i was reading it is there's this one really specific image um from from one of those comics where there's this this group of people in in one of these churches uh, in front of like a like a projector right like a projector screen and it just says praise him on it and it's these these people just sort of sitting in a room watching probably some sort of uh, Christian film or uh, maybe some sort of church production or maybe that's just the background uh, sort of PowerPoint style thing uh, for a sermon because you know sometimes they, they'll have like little images and sort of things like that but I don't know that that image really stuck with me because I feel like that resonates really hard with the way that Horde Prime is framed a lot of times against his his monitor screens like you were you were saying earlier with the with the production design and just the like there's another there's another bit that that describes this idea of like noel left the room for a bit um feeling overwhelmed and and coming back and nobody noticed that that he was gone nobody noticed that he was changed that he had like a moment where where he thought about things and like just just feeling in a way extremely extremely isolated but also extremely like trapped like you f- you feel that a lot in in the way that prime is depicted here and i think that that's that's a lot and you feel it a lot in the way that Katra is depicted I think that going into the show and going into it specifically on the rewatch I sort of felt like Noelle's personal inflection point was probably Adora but I think that particularly after having um having read that I think it's absolutely Katra, and I think that this is like this is the character that that he pulled the most from. That this this is this is his experience laid out, and um, it's really emotional looking at it like that. I I actually I had a really had a really hard time uh, getting through that memoir earlier. I I would, and I don't 
I don't know why, but it was that was it was actually very very tough to to get through. You can probably even still like hear it in in me talking. I like I like I couldn't breathe through a lot of reading it because it's it's very it's heavy in a way that I, I don't really know how to explain. Um, but yeah, you 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 get a lot of that in this episode in particular. Corridors feels very personal um looking back on on how it and and the material in it and how Katra especially really relates uh to Noel and his life we will of course discuss this more in full once i finish it and we can we can talk about it in that bonus episode but yes it's a very deeply personal piece of i mean any memoir is going to be very personal but th- but i think the aspect of it being told through images really gives it this like deeper level of engagement like you are looking deeper into this person's heart there is showing you more simply through this visual medium which is not what a lot of memoirs are delivered through um there are very striking images in in the fire never goes out uh and a lot of them can be seen echoed in this episode but we should continue on with corridors itself as catcher has been giving this ultimatum to sort of wheedle the information out of glimmer um and we next see her being led into glimmer's cell with the cake that they had discussed earlier yes and she specifically asks for privacy, but really isn't given any. No, the, the clone is just standing there. He, he just turns the cello opaque, but you can clearly just see him standing there. Yeah, he doesn't move his, his silhouette. He's like pressed against the glass practically. Yeah, like, and, and so uh, Catra kind of like leads Glimmer, you know, towards the bed. Like it should be noted that she's blushing when she's delivering the cake. Very good. Yeah. Very, very good. And she's talking very quietly and it's just like, you need to level with me right now as Adora on that ship. Yeah. She, she sort of, she sort of starts in this very, like, you're just a stupid cake. It doesn't mean I like you. And it's, it's very funny. Um, and, and she starts thinking about like, going into this the way she would usually do it you know being like manipulative and trying to get this information out of her but she very quickly decides not to at all and she sits glimmer down and says just look at me listen you know is is adora on that ship and she gets the answer that she was really really scared of because yes she is and Glimmer begs her, you know, no, you you cannot tell him. Like he'll kill her. He'll win. I mean, there's nothing. There's nothing for you. You know, if he wins, he just destroys everything. It's, you don't get out of this alive. Specifically, she says, "Don't tell him. Please, just do one good thing in your life." And that is where Catra kind of the the facade completely shatters um as glimmer is just kind of begging her to not do anything and she she snaps um and yells like you don't know me don't pretend like you know anything about me and uh storms off yeah she she slams on the glass demands to be let out and she and she runs away while glimmer just sort of breaks down because she feels like katra is gonna make another horrible decision maybe the last horrible decision she makes because 
again, Glimmer understands maybe even better than Catra does that this isn't a situation where they get out of this alive basically in any scenario. And the only way they stay alive longer is if they don't say anything. They just shut up and keep their mouth shut. And Catra runs off, but she she flashes back again to... Well, before that, she does inform Horde Prime, like, yeah, Adora's on that ship. She's going to come to get Glimmer. Um, and he is like, you, you made the right choice and you will be raised... You will you will ascend above all of the other wretched creatures of your homeworld. You you are something better than them. And he he is he's a, he is very much like doing the thing. Yeah. Also, who I just saw the line "Go now in peace," and I'm like, mm-hmm. uh. Yep. Yeah. That's that's it's, it's subtle, subtle, but it's but there. It's yeah. There. It's, uh, um. But yeah, after after this bit, she uh, she walks she walks away, and once again presented with this 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 path. You know, does she continue down helping Horde Prime, or does she not? And she has another sort of flashback to the same scene when they were kids. And Catra has a lot of insecurity. She's she's afraid that Adora is going to leave her, make friends with other people. She's afraid of sharing adora in any way she wants to be her friend and her only friend she only wants she doesn't she doesn't want anybody else in her life and you know adora says you know i'm always going to be your friend and zenkatra just sort of latched onto that a lot and it keeps coming back to her she sees visions of the two of them sort of tussling in the in the hallway sort of a hallucination of them and she hears that line again and she makes she makes a decision i mean there's there's so much to talk about in this sequence like first of all you know we see the, the first the opening flashback we see adora leave um and, and catcher feels abandoned but in this this one starts with her coming back of her own volition and staying with catcher because it's like it's dinner time you're gonna miss it um and catcher doesn't want to budge and adora just kind of sits down next to her and is like you know what well if you're gonna miss dinner then i am too and like she, she does the thing where I'm always going to be your friend. And then she tells Catra, "You should apologize to Lonnie so we can all be friends." And that that is what when Catra rejects that, and 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 runs off saying, "I'll never apologize to anyone ever," which she never did. She never did. She she decided that at like nine and lived her life by that, which honestly impressive to stick to your terrible principles. But anyway, this is kind of the big thing where Catra she has an extreme version to apologizing and confrontation. She doesn't want to talk about it. This has been the case the whole show. She doesn't want to talk about it. She doesn't want to think about it. No, she doesn't want to talk about it or think about it. She just wants to do it. She just wants to do it and get it over with uh, because it's uncomfortable and it's painful, but she knows that she has to do it. And she, we've, we've said many times over the course of this podcast that Katra um fundamentally always has to make the wrong choice it is the most fundamental aspect of her entire character uh at the end of the day is that she always makes the wrong choice this is the point in the show where she changes that where she decides 
it's time to make a good decision. She busts Glimmer out. She owns Hordak. I don't know how she can tell that one is Hordak, or even if that one is a Hordak, or if she's just, like, guessing. Um, But she breaks Glimmer out. Glimmer has armed herself with a shard of the chair leg, (laughs) and they just fight their way through the flagship to the teleporter room where Catra starts uh, locks them in and starts putting in the coordinates um and, and glimmer begins to realize exactly what's happening yeah glimmer doesn't know what the plan is she's sort of swept along for the ride she like on the way to the teleport room, she's like where are we going how can i possibly trust you what is going on and Catra's like you can't trust me like you don't know where we're going you know either either you trust me or you don't listen we don't have time for this just come with me and and she does she says she says i want to do that one good thing of you just talking about she she does say that and it's again there's a lot of lines in this one and that's that's definitely one of them um but but yeah they they get put they're in the teleporter room she sort of locks the bulkhead doors and throws glimmer in the tube the teleporter tube and you know she's like listen i'm gonna send i'm gonna send you to them i i know adora it doesn't matter if i tell her to not come here because she's gonna come anyway she's gonna come save you because that's just how she is but nobody cares about me hard cut to adora she says the line there's no one left in the entire universe who cares about me and then it hard cut to a shot of adora in the first one ship and it's uh, boy howdy uh by the way the ship is the ship is darla the ship is darla named darla now don't worry about it you know and trap and trap is having some emotions about the ship we'll get to that later yeah we'll get to that in the next episode uh so catra calls the ship she hails them um and adora is floored to hear catra's voice this is not what she expected her at heart all. Stops. yeah her, she her face her pupils boy her face pupils immediately are pinpricks yeah. and she is already crying like immediately yeah. like it is it is extreme um and catra's just like there's you know don't sound too happy to see me i'm, I'm i've got glimmer i'm going to teleport her near to your location all right and Adora is just like, no, hang on, no, no, no. What are you, what are you doing? What's going on? There's not a lot of time to explain. The dudes are already through the door. She is literally punching and kicking them off of her while she's talking to Adora this entire time. And uh, as as the clones descend on her to uh, try try to restrain her from sending Glimmer from pressing the button, she manages to say she uh, she apologizes to adora for everything i'm sorry for everything she says while being held back restrained uh dog piled crying and she sends glimmer glimmer gets out she is teleported away um before the transmission cuts out and adora is trying as hard as she can to to get the to get the transmission back but it's gone Catra is is no longer uh is no longer on the uh on voice call here the desperation in her voice when she's yelling for Catra to come back <sighs> but they get to the coordinates that Catra sent them they open the airlock luckily apparently horde primes teleporters give people like green lantern fields so they can survive in space for a period of time very convenient that yes very convenient they suit up and they 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 pull glimmer out into the ship 
Um, she's crying. They, they, everyone's crying. I'm crying. We're, we're all crying. Bo, Bo has like this the Martian style like scene where where he grabs Glimmer and the the rope sort of is sort of spinning around them as they sort of spin in space and and Adora's yanking them back into the into the cargo bay of the ship right before the uh the oxygen field depletes and you know glimmer's a little bit out of it a little bit uh roughed up here but you know she says you know adora asks what happened and glimmer's like you know i think catcher saved me i think she saved all of us cut back to horde prime's throne room um she's brought before horde prime he lifts her chin with the tip of his foot yeah she's thrown onto the ground onto her knees she's very clearly been beaten up and just the the visual of the boot is is very clear it could not it could not be more literal in this scene it is <laughs> and uh he he is like why would you do this why would you forsake my blessing to to do something this stupid i'm i they will not escape forever my light you know no one escapes my light and she just laughs in his face catra knows she's going out but you know what if she's gonna go out she's going out the catra way and she seems to be under the impression that he's just gonna kill her um it's a pretty good assumption which, it's a pretty good assumption but yeah it's a fairly good assumption you you cross horde primes like oh he's gonna like toss me at the airlock or like vaporize me um but then we get a very creepy close-up of his face and he just says oh don't worry my child all beings have a place within my empire even you as he's cradling uh, her face in his hand just grabs her face yeah it's uh and then and then we we get a a smash to credits and uh chanting you know a bunch of chanting some, some like creepy gregorian chanting here to end this episode it is one hell of an uh an episode it, it, it is like worlds apart from the previous one in terms of quality yeah corridors is it's it's a really really strong episode um this this is this is it's like a really emotionally heavy one I think, especially again, especially after uh, getting through getting through that memoir before watching it again, it's like action. It, I don't know. It's it's getting to me right now. Yeah. So let's unwind a little bit with a few questions, shall we? We we got a few. We've got we got an email and we got a couple of curious cats and uh, we do have one on twitter and uh, i think i think let's let's just start with uh, the twitter one get that out of the way from uh, at frankentrapta here asks is hordax defect gone doesn't look like he's wearing any armor yeah he looks identical to every other clone uh, which of course makes it very hard to pick him out of a crowd which is kind of the point um he was like dragged away at, after the end of uh season four so one can assume that like yeah either his defect is gone or horde primes like technological solutions to that are much more advanced and sleek and it's not immediately obvious yeah it's possible maybe he was grown a new body maybe uh just the medical technology that the guy has access to is just le- leaps and bounds 
better than anything Hordak had. It's it's anyone's guess. But it is definitely more important that like Hordak, the things that set him apart have been erased, and he is now just another one of, of Horde Prime's subjects. No will of his own, no name of his own, just another face. And of course, it seems that that is not entirely true. Uh, it's, it, we will see if any trace of Wardak remains after his Mountain Dew bath, but uh, who knows? Who knows? Um, for the Curious Cap, we've got... Uh, we did we did one earlier, so another one is... I think we'll go with this one first from Anonymous Curious Cat user. And we've got a couple that will be read in other episodes so don't worry if you if you sent one in and we don't get to it we're saving it yeah we're we're tucking that away um so we got one here from anonymous curious catcher user other than the sword episodes and heart part two corridors is the only episode that doesn't have a cold open before the title sequence any thoughts on the significance of this decision and why no other episodes are structured this way um i think largely it's just sort of a dramatic impact thing I think that I think this is an episode uh, Harper Two and the Sword. I think these these three are episodes that having a cold open I think would interrupt the flow and pacing. Um, I think that having it just all delivered in one shot without that like breathing room really affects the pace quite significantly um there's there's a reason why um most shows and this show in particular does or they they do cold opens it's because it gives you this like you can set up sort of the the premise of the episode and then give this like breathing room you know the the show kind of takes a breath before continuing but when when you don't do that it changes the feeling of how things are set up It, it makes things feel a lot more tighter a lot more constrictive there's there is less space for you as an audience member to sort of catch your breath and this is either to build uh tension or it's to uh build anticipation or excitement but either way it's it's a good sort of mechanism for doing that i feel and of course, the other thing is that the sword uh, part one is the first episode and doesn't even have an intro. And uh, the sword part two is a direct continuation of that, so it wouldn't need a cold open. And the heart part two is the finale, so it needs those like extra thirty seconds uh, from the opening for other stuff. And once again, it is a continuation of the previous episode, so there's no need for a cold open. Um, but yes, it is also like this episode in particular, it is important that we don't have a cold open because there should be no break. We start immediately on this flashback and we, we go from there. It takes a long time for the credits to even pop up. Like that flashback plays, um, entirely creditless. The, the first credit doesn't pop up until we see Catra on the windowsill. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, I feel like Corridors is a really well-paced episode of television. It's like the pace the episode sort of goes at makes you feel sort of every bit as pressed on as the actual characters in the episode do. I think it's 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 a really it's a really well done uh, a really well well done affair. 
Um, the next question uh, we have here, once again from Anonymous, I know it's debated quite a bit in the fandom, but I'd like to hear your take on this. Um, do you think the Best Friend Squad slash Princess Alliance forgave Catra too quickly? I personally wish there were more one-on-one scenes of her apologizing to them, especially Glimmer. I feel like the sleepover scene in Corridors in particular would have been a good place to put a discussion about Angela or the other horrible war crimes Catcher has committed. Uh, but what do you think? I like I like that phrasing, horrible war crimes. Um, <laughs> as opposed to the, the, the gentle and, and non, uh, non-toxic war crimes. So, we can't get into this fully, obviously, because we aren't there yet. But we can definitely talk about the glimmer part. Yeah. So, the thing about it is that this season of television has 13 episodes um that's one part of it and there's simply not enough time to devote to all of those one-on-one conversations the second thing is that catra's arc requires like they're telling a story they're telling a story with her character arc that you can't get bogged down in these details so much and i think there's a lot of room they leave for other people to explore those ideas and perhaps for those ideas to be explored in future properties with uh, within the same continuity but i definitely th- the 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 sleepover scene would have been a, a good time to bring up angela the tone of the episode would have been really 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 different if that had been the case that's the thing right is like the tone of the episode would have shifted um part of the reason i think the sleepover scene works uh, as well as it does is because this is like a it's a very brief moment it's a very brief moment of them being able to connect their their time aboard the velvet glove they simply aren't given the time to really have a detailed one-on-one conversation to hash anything out because or prime explicitly doesn't want them to you know that's that's pretty like counter to his desires here he does not want these characters to connect or reconcile or forgive each other that makes them more resilient and more able to sort of resist uh his machinations here that the last thing he wants is for glimmer and catra to you know make up here so this is like there's ways you probably could have included some of that in this conversation but I really don't think this is the moment where I would do it. I, I think that there should have been more uh, one-on-one stuff going on. I think in general, just more of a discussion with regards to to, to forgiveness for Catra, I think would have been uh, a pretty nice thing to do. Um, pretty famously in uh, Avatar The Last Airbender, actually, which is, we we make comparisons a lot, and I think largely that's sort of like a consequence of sort of the Zuko effect. And and in a lot of ways, this show draws on the foundation that, um, that Zuko's arc kind of built, right? And they did uh, a few episodes where Zuko would go um with one or two characters and have like a little adventure and it's and you know there's like a bit uh later where where Toph lampshades the fact that she doesn't get like a Zuko adventure to go on but um they get this time where and Katara in particular they get this time where they get 
to sort of address the elephant in the room and they're given the space to not necessarily inherently like forgive but at least to relate to understand each other and stuff and it 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 gives that arc a lot more it, it makes the the forgiveness um that that comes fairly quickly you have to bear in mind the actual zuko redemption arc is pretty short it's it's really only the back half of book three that it happens in and i i would argue maybe if you if you took it on the whole i feel like the actual redemption of if you wanted to compare the two of like catcher versus zuko i feel like probably more physical screen time is probably dedicated to catcher here um but i i do feel in some ways that there there was a little more like personal attention between individual characters um for for zuko here and i think that's that's one of the comparisons that's ultimately sort of inevitable when you do something like this but you know when it comes when it comes to this show it just simply wasn't built the same way it wasn't there wasn't necessarily as much room for those kind of very personal episodes here towards the end um because there's a lot more loose ends to tie a lot more like things that they had to get done before they actually hit uh the hard episodes you know in the end of book three right you're mostly just dealing with trying to get to the fire lord now and also importantly is that catra's arc is not necessarily about forgiveness that's this is the thing about it right catra's arc is about someone who has done bad things in the past and has hurt people in the past recognize that and and making the steps and and devoting themselves to like improving and not just trying to run away from it or deny it that is what katra is focused on zuko is much more about zuko's arc is much more about forgiveness and trust katra is kind of like one of the reasons they're so forgiving is because she is well one she does this um which is like a, a crazy personal sacrifice um in what she does in this episode and also like katra is the one who takes the first step that's the that's what has to happen first and we will talk about that in future episodes and especially in the fanfic episode oh yes look forward to that because that's coming up really really quickly so yeah the, well ultimately there are many comparisons you can make to zuko the arcs have different goals for each of these characters exactly and and we will see them that borne out over the rest of season five how about we crack open this email absolutely so uh this email sent to us by uh karen valencia um and they say uh hi nero and jane i hope you're doing well we hope you're doing well too uh, I've been listening to your podcast for a couple of months now and fell absolutely in love with it. Uh, I adore your thoughtful discussions and simply reinforces the love I have for the show. I've officially caught up and I'm excited to let some of my burning questions out. Well, thank you. Uh, we're, we're happy we're happy that, uh, that you enjoy the show. Um, in both Promise and Corridors, we see memories directly interact with Katra and influence her choices regarding Adora. Uh, in one, baby Katra looks at Katra and uh, the other baby Adora looks at Katra instead. 
Um, what prominent role do you think these memories specifically play on her character, especially with who ends up breaking the fourth wall, um, so to say, and interacting with Katra? I think we talked about this in the Promise episode, the parallels. Um, it is, yeah, the there are, because the, Promise is a huge crossroad for Katra, and that's one of the ones where she picks wrong, right? That's, that's a big one where she picks wrong. Mm-hmm. And that is spurred on by this like single silent look from her younger self breaking the barrier of this flashback that has been established by the the sort of uh, conventions of the first one's tech and that one's interesting because that was all fielded around like adora broke a promise like she was going to be there for me she promised to protect me and she didn't and i was hurt again and again and that look is kind of the reinforcement of that. And that scene is great because I just remember, like, yeah, the, the sound completely cuts out for, like, three seconds as, as they share this look and then the, the young catcher walks off. This is not spurred on by any First One's technology. This is all in Catcher's head. This is a visualization of her conflicted feelings about Adora. It is. And um, we get a very similar... But not exactly the same promise uh, that Adora makes here in this flashback. You know, she says, I'll always be your friend. And Catra realizes the truth in that statement and also the, how much she has, like, betrayed that. Yeah. Over over the, over the series. Um, and that's the thing that makes her turn around and do that one good thing with her life. Exactly. Because the thing is, in Promise, she feels like Adora broke the promise to her but in corridors i think she largely feels that she broke that promise that she that she broke the promise that they would always be friends to adora and she she feels like she's truly done so many things wrong and she she tries to make up for it and you know i think that i think these memories are extremely important um for a character i think this is like as with any person, um, I think a very core foundational element is that who you who you are and what you experience as a child, uh, it stays with you forever. And it doesn't go away. It doesn't just become uh, memories of the past. That, that little version of you is still around. It's still, still inside. And you have to, you have to interact with, with that version of yourself. Probably more often than than you'd necessarily like and and catcher experiences that in this show quite a lot she has to she she physically sees it both uh in the literal in in promise where it's like actually being projected in a hologram and in the metaphorical and corridors where she's sort of maybe hallucinating maybe not it's probably just sort of internal projection but like you know she's she's being forced to really think about about this this younger version of herself and and confront it and and understand it and it's a very it's very important to her character it's very important for for us as an audience to understand who she is but it's just as important for her as a character to understand who she is that's right um and karen goes on I just think it's so interesting how some of her biggest choices in the show have a big push from certain past memories all with Adora. 
Also a fun little detail, but I love the inclusion of the theme from Promise when Catra is saving Glimmer and apologizing to Adora. Small details like these, especially with the music, just make me want to scream. A good scream. Yeah, that's an interesting music choice, isn't it? Yeah, I actually didn't notice that on the first watch. Um, I think... I think Nero, you actually pointed that out at some point in the past, yes. and I was like, "Oh, I look forward to uh, to to hearing that." That it keeps coming up. It will come up at least one more time in a very big moment. Um, it might come up in episode five too. You know, just thinking about that that episode. So uh, yes, I love your show, and I'm very excited for every new episode. Thank you for doing what you're doing. Man, corridors was wow, a real emotional ride, huh? Yes. Oh yes, very, very figure much. a, figure a. This podcast, which isn't even done yet, we're an hour and thirty in on this one, eh? Yeah, we're an hour and thirty. In. I mean, like I figured, corridors was gonna be a real long one because, like, again, this this episode, there's a lot to get through here. It's this is this is it's it is a very emotional one. It's got a lot of baggage. This this episode is basically the carousel at the airport right now. It's just all everybody's luggage is just pouring off the thing. It's it's crowded. You know, it was it was a full flight. Everybody brought on like two carry on bags. <laughs> yep. Uh, so it's time to hurry over to plugs. Of course, you can find us at Podcast of Power on Twitter, where you can keep abreast of any developments and also sometimes we retweet horrifying machinery from the old He-Man cartoon. Yes, such as The Dragon Walker, which is, if you haven't seen it, absolutely nightmarish. Go give it a look. I hate it. Um, we also have a Patreon, which is uh, patreon.com slash pod of power, uh, where we have plenty of fun stuff for you. At the $3 patron mark, we have our Kipo cast, um, the Owl cast, and very, very shortly here, the Infinicast, uh, three shows which uh, have looked at and are continuing to look at Kipo Mage Wonderbeast, the Owl House, and Infinity Train, respectively. All pretty good stuff. That's right. We also have minisodes scattered throughout. We will be, as mentioned, we will be doing a new one soon on The Fire Never Goes Out noel stevenson's uh illustrated memoir and we will also definitely be doing one that they published uh on the fanfic that they published under the name anna charlier um uh, look for that around episode six of uh season five yes that's gonna be pretty good i'm also gonna see if i can find i mentioned this before i'm gonna see if i can try and find the um the corridors there's this um animatic that was made at one point i swear i remember seeing it a while ago of uh, a cut scene from this episode and i would actually love to just sort of do a like very mini mini so just sort of covering that because i remember that scene being like really very strong it's like it's a glimmer scene specifically but um but yeah the the bonus episodes are great uh we got she riffs where we look at old uh she-ra 1980s episodes and we do a sort of riff track commentary we do the watchtower where we look at all of the funny fan content and uh sort of frame it all around a fun ship and very shortly here we're going to be even doing a, an actual play uh one-shot podcast of a she-ra inspired firebrands tabletop hack 
called For the Honor. Uh, so that's that's coming up pretty much at the end of the season. So, so keep an eye out for that. And of course, emails. We're still doing our big email uh, roundup at the end of this season. But if you want to send in an episode-specific email like Karen did, uh, you can uh, email us uh, podofpower at gmail.com for any and all correspondence about this fine show um you can also find me on another podcast uh at disney minus pod where we talk about stuff that's on disney plus uh latest episode is gonna be on the three caballeros uh where donald gets really horny that's exciting i i don't remember that about the film it's an interesting film i'll say that and i'll leave it at the you listen to the episode you'll learn a few things about our our friend donald um so uh yeah apparently and finally if you are one of our lovely three dollar force captain patrons you also get shout outs at the end of every episode that is correct special shout outs go to salty salty and prongle they joined very recently both this week uh this past week so thank you very much yeah thank you and of course the rest of our lovely force captain patrons blue holly ibo regard Kaylee, Louisa, Garrett Johnson, Ross Ivy, Emma Lynn, Ashley Butcher, Anelia, Cody, Haley Moreland, Yusuf Gurch, Ashley, Kyra Williams, Mabel Mabel, Ryan Kuhn, Jennifer Jones, Jess Pumphrey, Leon Lay, Jack O'Neuro, Olivia, Brittany Ray, Michael Steiner, Tara Stark, TCO, Brennan Fitzgerald, Tobu, Emma Grossman, and Robert Harris. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you very much. Your support, as always, means the world to us. And, uh, and with that going to do it for our main episode here so if you're heading out we'll catch you later but if you want to talk about more horde prime stuff oh boy we'll see you on the other side Horde Prime disembogulation. Where do we start with this guy? I mean... He's quite a guy, ain't he? He sure is. So, like... I guess we have to start with kind of the full breadth of his place as as a symbol within the series, right? Yeah, I think that's a really good place to start. Because as overt as the messaging in this episode is... It gets a lot more overt as we go on. Specifically, Save the Cat oh. is when it gets really, really overt. I think te- that is... The text is on the screen. Yeah. It's flashing. It's it's a neon sign. It is. Uh, it's like, I think there's a lot... There are a lot of things you can say about Save the Cat. A lot of very heavy things that that is tied to with regards to this, uh, the, the kind of evangelical bent evangelical cult bent to uh to horde prime mm-hmm. um like the 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 kind of loss of identity that he encourages the complete isolation that any of his subjects experience 
how afraid anyone, any of his clones separated from the hive mind are. Wrong Hordak is just a, an utter wreck, just completely inconsolable when he is separated from it. And it takes a, a very long time to kind of deprogram him, basically. Um, it literally like seeing evidence that horde prime has just been lying to his face the whole time is the thing that t t it takes for him to like get radicalized and re and uh, want to take him down yeah it's the, the amount of evidence and the amount of time required to get hordak to understand that that he isn't actually all-powerful all-knowing omniscient that he isn't god is it it takes a while and i think again it's one of those things it's like yeah that's this is how this behaves it, it takes a really it takes a really 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 long time to get out of that kind of mindset he's he's in, in particular like been reborn so to speak so many times uh by that point that there's there's very little left for him to to hold on to that's left of him. But what is what is the one thing that Hordak holds on to in the end it, when he finds the gem that Entrapped had brought along specifically to remind him of who he is, and he secrets this away and keeps it from Horde Prime. Like he he begins hiding information from Horde Prime, something that no clone would do. And there, I always remember that scene in Failsafe where he confronts Entrapta and it's just and it's just kind of like, why, why am I like remembering things I don't want to? Why am I being set apart? I can't get you out of my head. Yeah, and he doesn't he doesn't know what to do. He wants to just be he wants to just be happy. He wants to not have to think. He wants to just be able to be a part of horde prime's flock as as they refer to themselves but he can't because he made fundamental choices that you can't take back he made an identity for himself he made a he carved a place in in the world and he found a connection to another person and these these three things are not congruent with that you can't you can't do those things and still be able to fully re-immerse yourself in this kind of occult environment because that's all still going to be there you can try and not think about it but you're gonna think about it and we don't want to touch i don't think we want to touch too much on save the cat that's coming up very shortly and there's a lot of pondered imagery there, but I think it, it would probably be good to touch on a few of the things going on there at the very least. Yeah, I think it's important. I think it's important to at least like sort of talk about the ways in which it sort of interfaces with Horde Prime and how he exists as like a representation and a metaphor of like things. Uh, lots of things. I think structural homophobia in the church is a big one, specifically in that episode and throughout the rest of the show, but definitely that one in particular extremely extremely the the haircut that catcher receives the outfit it is all very, like everything is is perfectly controlled to to horde prime's specifications um and he's he is like constantly saying oh well adora all you did was cause her suffering and strife and i took all of that away 
It's not complicated anymore. She is at peace. She's at peace because all these complicated emotions were taken away, you know? Eurydora causes you so much suffering. Wouldn't you rather it all be taken away? And, you know, Prime does his very best to. And it doesn't work because it never does, is the thing. It's, it's not something that you can just throw away and, and pretend it's not real. There's... The, the thing is... It's tough, ain't it? It is, like... I mean, I mean, here's the thing. We, we, I, I don't want to necessarily like get into a lot of the stuff with Save the Cat. Um, we gotta, we gotta save it for. We, save we the gotta cat, save so it for Save the Cat. But I think, um, I think that that we we gotta we gotta lay, lay the lay the cards out on the table here at least, and not and not beat around the bush. The man is a conversion therapist. Yes. And that is what happens in Save the Cat, is Catra experiences conversion therapy. And the trauma after that is that she experiences from having gone through that. It's tremendous. Like, we see it in the very next episode, the the scars she has from it um, and continues to have from it. She picks up a new tick after Save the Cat, which is touching the back of her neck yeah because it it's like the the show again the themes that the show has textually and subtextually tried to explore throughout its entire runtime with other characters uh you know shadow weaver is a good example right but the it's it's in season five that they get the opportunity to make it extremely textual as as textual as you can really get away with making for something on for for a syndicated cartoon like they really did their absolute best to try to have horde prime exist as this monster and this very real this this very like an evil an evil that you can understand an evil that you an evil that that a lot of us know like personally yes and I think that uh, Hordak, the thing about Hordak is that like Horde Prime is never humanized at all. He's not human. There's not a he's not a person. He is too monstrous to ever be even remotely sympathetic or understandable by design. Every other villain in the show is to some degree sympathetic and understandable, even Shadow Weaver. Like Hordak, especially once you begin to see like. Yeah, he's horrible, but ultimately he is a product of Horde Prime. Like he is what was spat out of that system uh to like be unleashed somewhere else. Exactly. Exactly. He's Kordak is given the space to be a human person. Um Horde Prime isn't given that space because it's not something he's capable of. He 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 whatever may have existed whatever humanity like he may have had at any point in his uh near infinite lifespan doesn't matter anymore i mean we see that at the very end right because here's the another big thing about horde prime he dies they kill him Horde prime dies he he is killed on screen he dies and it is a triumphant moment and the way that it is reflected the way that it is shown is that Horde Prime's true essence is this shadowy, nebulous rot. Like, 
all of these bodies he makes, he just puts his his soul or whatever into it, and he can he persists that way. And the way that he is defeated is just wiping that away, just in 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 blinding radiance. It just gets swept away, completely dissolved by Shira at the very end of season five. Yeah, and it's a very and it's a very interesting choice of visuals here because having read the uh the fire never goes out earlier there's a very specific piece of imagery uh that noel actually like put in this in in this uh in this book here and this this like little shadow demon well there's the shadow demon but there's another very 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 specific one and i'm trying to find it actually yeah okay so there's there's this specific genre of imagery that takes place in uh in the fire never goes out which is this um noel draws draws himself with uh with like a hole in the in the center of them a lot and there's one very specific uh there's one very specific thing where the line there is no holy ghost inside of me is used several times right and i think there's a lot of that that's the the visual of horde prime being shot out of hordak and disintegrated dissolved away straight through the chest i feel like there's paralleling here there's this there's this thing that is often like talked about in uh sort of fundamentalist christianity um of course again my experience is catholicism but like the holy spirit being this this thing that lives inside of you this like omnipresent like thing this this embodiment of god that lives in your in your soul with you and never leaves and is always there and is always watching and is this and it's meant to be this it's meant to be a comfort it's meant to be this like this awesome thing this like this this symbol of you know god's covenant with people and with how much he he loves and cares for you but but it's it's very it's a very oppressively controlling concept it's this very like this this idea that you're never alone there's this ghost in you that that is always watching and i feel like a lot of that that imagery is being expressed in in that scene in particular yeah and you know yeah horde prime is kind of the like embodiment of the fundamentalist idea of god right where he is this omnipresent all-encompassing all-knowing being who is very patriarchal, very controlling. And like, I think there's a lot of, of, of forgiveness being, you know, thrown around in Christian dichotomies and whatnot. I think the, the, this particular strain, this particular view of God is very much not that, um, the, the sinners are to be cast out and abandoned, uh, unless they want to be saved. And Horde Prime is very much the same. Do you remember what he said to Glimmer in, uh, in launch? those who cling to the darkness have made their choice try once and if it doesn't work well it's true and and i feel like there's there's an element of 
they they don't it's it's not ever like explicitly said and there's not even necessarily a line that directly parallels this sentiment it's more on like a tangent right they they intersect but they're not necessarily completely parallel but there's this line that's said by these kinds of people um all the time consistently and again this is this is something actually that is in the fire never goes out is this uh hate the sin love the sinner mentality where again it's it's not an explicit parallel but it intersects i feel in a few parts of of horde prime's character you have this like how could you betray me and my trust and my 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 everlasting light you know he 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 hates the betrayal he hates what you've done but don't you know don't worry child there is still a place for you i still love you and that that extremely oppressive benevolence that that deliverance of the boots to your chin with a loving smile is very present in in him and the way way he's constructed there's so much to say we could say like right like the the heart his plan with the heart basically being the rapture yeah it, it is it's a it is extremely like a rapture doomsday cult it's like some like you know like heaven's gate nonsense in a lot of ways and how by the end he's even given up on that he's just like no we're just i'm just gonna blow it up like we go we all go together as so often those things end with one man deciding to to end it all uh for everyone else it's uh there's a lot of ties that the chips i mean that could be a lot of things it could be the insidious way these kinds of things can worm through a community um i i recently like well the chips is like it's kind of like the 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 QAnon plague right where this this horrible strain of thought is just poisoning people left and right and like people are like, oh well this is just a reasonable person suddenly become like these QAnon freaks who are so basted in online conspiracy theories that it's just like you're a different person now i don't know who that is yeah i mean i was reminded a lot of like uh with the chips actually like jehovah's witness style stuff mormon style stuff and um and i i also have like a little bit of experience well a little more than a little bit but like i have have a reasonable amount of experience with like jehovah's witness style stuff and this is it's very similar to that too where you have this like you know you get you get an individual who is indoctrinated into this into this belief system into this this cult and they their job is to go out and indoctrinate as many people as they can they they bring you into the fold and they they take hold of you they they infect a a community of people and and you see it slowly over time because it it just it sort of it builds this it's a snowball effect and and every single uh person makes it more of this like crushing inevitability that it's that this this wave is 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 coming for you just like it did everybody else it's this like it's it's a very it's a very patient um but very inevitable sort of crushing wheel that that sort of subsumes people you know they the things about them that you care about just get slowly erased and they they just get more and more um sort of taken in 
and even if they want to get out even if they're resisting it you know you see it's made almost impossible um in many ways and i think that's that's like a fairly you know the the being chipped is is a little bit of uh of a heavy-handed metaphor for that but i think is not an unreasonable and i think that's that's like not an unreasonable way to to metaphorically engage with this stuff corridors is quite a heavy episode as as our discussion here has has uh certainly demonstrated uh next week we're gonna get a little bit of reprieve from that luckily um because i think if we shot right in to save the cat we would die yeah 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 so yeah next next episode we're getting to meet the star siblings and we're going to experience some crystals some fun times getting some crystals some some funny crystals we get to meet some funny some funny characters it's all a good time uh you know we get we get she-ra back a little bit a little bit it's you know it's 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 a wonderful it's a wonderful little little trip and then next week i have no doubt that that's gonna breach like two hours yeah no no question in my mind i i wouldn't be surprised if it was if it was much longer than this episode uh ends up being and this one's like two hours long so it's it's uh we're we're really in it now. We're we're so extremely extremely in it. Like this is the end of the line and it all gets it all gets very complicated, very heavy and and really good. Yeah. Just really really good. The uh the run of episodes towards the end of this season is just utterly fantastic. That's true. So until uh until next week when we hunt some crystals down with some funny guys, I've been one of your hosts, Nero. And I've been the other host, Jane. And we'll see you on the bridge of the Velvet Glove. See you there.